Uh, there's Honey in the Rock. I love that song. Isn't it good? All those were good today. Boy, that was great. Appreciate that. Appreciate you drawing us to worship today through your singing and music. is a blessing. Just a blessing. Love it. All right. I hope you're glad to be here today in God's house. We're glad to have you here. Uh, I want you to take your Bibles, turn to Mark 11 while you're turning there. Let me just say I hope you've had a chance to walk over to our new facility. Uh, we're opening it up today. We'll do a dedication later down the road, but we want to start transitioning some things over there, Sunday school classes, different events, and uh, just a great opportunity to use that, especially to see our nursery and then to see that gathering room and things that can be used so regularly. It's going to be a wonderful, wonderful uh, addition for uh, everything here at Tri-Baptist Church. So we're glad for that. And also, we start our school this week. Um, students start Wednesday, so teachers been in session this past week. And I know some other schools are starting this week as well, and probably public schools don't start for another week or two. But uh, I, would like to just, I would like to just take a moment to pray over every teacher. So what I'm going to do is if you are in Triad Academy or you're in another Christian school or you're in a public school or homeschool, as a teacher, I'd like you to just stand for a minute. I want to pray over you, okay? So if you're here and you're in that situation, or you're a uh, principal too, or work with the uh, school system, just stand. I'd like to just have a word of prayer over you. This is wonderful, isn't it? Wonderful to see these two. You know, it's interesting to note that when Jesus came to this earth, you know what he was? A teacher. He's a teacher. And so it's a beautiful thing to know the way they impact lives and affect people for eternity. Let's pray. Father, we do come before you, and I want to pray right now over these teachers, over these laborers in the school systems here at our church, other Christian schools, our public school, the homeschoolers. And Lord, I want to just pray you be their protector, you be their comforter, you be their strength. Put it over the children as well. Bless the children. Bless the teachers. Cover them in your peace and in your grace. Lord, I pray you give these teachers a strength to face all the obstacles they'll face this year. Give them a discerning spirit, a wisdom about everything they do, Lord. Just give them that ability to think through well, these students, as they invest in their life. And God, I rebuke all the plans of the enemy. They would seek to get into these schools and destroy them. And Father, push back that, and I want to pray for it right now. Cover these teachers with your anointing. Love them with your love. I lift them up to you, Lord. I pray them for your purposes now. I dedicate them to that, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. Thank you for that, ladies. Well, there might have been some men in there, too, so ladies and men. I didn't, I didn't catch that. All right, take your Bibles to Mark. Well, stand with me now. You should have it at Mark 11. Mark 11, I want to read verses 22 to 26. 22 to 26. Follow along now as I read. And Jesus answered, saying to them, Have faith in God. Truly I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, Be taken up and cast into the sea, and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen, it will be granted him. Therefore I say to you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you, may, that you have received them, and they will be granted to you. Whenever you stand praying, forgive if you have anything against anyone, so that your Father who is in heaven will also forgive you your transgressions. But if you do not forgive, neither will your Father who is in heaven forgive your transgressions. You may be seated. 
I'm going to preach a message today. We're back in our series in Mark, The Harder Path of Faith. And so stay with me through this message because I believe it's a very important one. I don't like to preach on such short verses. I like to cover a little more ground as we're going through a book. But these verses are so important for me to try to explain to you. I mean, just, just as you heard them read, they're, they're, they're awesome. They're amazing verses uh, for your life. And, and I wouldn't preach this if I didn't believe it, but I, I want you to see and I want you to understand, for God to move in your life, uh, there's three things you've got to have. Three things you've got to have. And I want to kind of jump right into this because I want you to kind of get this, okay? You want God to move in your life, there's three things you've got to have. Number one, the first thing you've got to have is you must have a life led by faith in God. That's, that's the most important one, a life led by faith in God. If you, if you really want to see God move in your life, I promise you this, it's an issue of faith. It is an issue of faith for you. Faith is the premise that unlocks everything in God's order of things. Faith is the premise. That's, that's so important right there. Faith is the premise. So, so lock that in your heart. That little Tim, Tim Keller just puts things so succinctly. It's the premise that unlocks everything in God's order of things. Now, if you have a battle in your life, I promise you this, it's a faith battle. It's a faith battle. Okay, it's, that, that's a good way to say that and summarize that. Don't worry about your feelings. Feelings make no difference in this thing. They make no difference. If you're a person who has a lot of feelings or no feelings, it doesn't matter. It makes no difference with your feelings. The question is, can you believe it? Can you believe it? That's the question. Can you believe it? You can only receive it if you have the capacity to believe. The whole premise of our walk with God is based on this. All right? He says, speak to this mountain. <laughs> speak to this mountain, and it will be taken up and thrown in the sea, and it will be done unto him. That's, that's an incredible verse. It's amazing verse right there. Now, the parallel passage is in Matthew chapter 17, and it adds in the mustard seed. Uh, I brought along a little mustard seed so you could see it. You see that right there in that bottle? It's somewhere in that little bottle. But it, it was the smallest seed known in Israel at that time. And I just want you to be reminded of that because I, I can't, you really have to focus to see that. But if you're in the back, if you look really closely, you probably could see that, but I doubt. Um, so if you have... Itsy bitsy faith. You don't need much. You don't need much. Itsy bitsy mustard seed on the one hand. And this huge mountain. Okay? He wants you to see that, okay? Um, the mountain has no growth potential. It's fixed. Can't grow anymore, all right? But the seed is limitless in how much it can grow. So, what God is saying here is, you're moving a fixed mountain with a limitless seed of faith. You're moving a fixed mountain with a limitless seed of faith. That's how, what should I say, that's how concentrated faith is. It's that concentrated, okay? Faith is so potent, just a little bit. And you can move this mountain. The implication here in this passage is that 
You're trying to move something that's impossible in your life. It's not something you can do with your earthly resources, your money, your strength, all those human things. It's not. The implication is this is something you need moved that's impossible for you. Okay, That's important for me to say as I, as I get into this today because um, God doesn't want you to exercise miracles for the ordinary. You, if you can do it in the ordinary world, you don't need a miracle. You don't need mountain-moving faith for that. Don't waste your faith on silly stuff. Don't waste your faith on silly stuff. Use your faith when you can't do it through any other vehicle in your life. Henry Blackaby, the mighty is moved by the minute. The mighty is moved by the minute. Now, I want to talk to you about this today. I want to talk to you about that mountain that is right in front of you. Maybe you have a mountain in your life right now that's in front of you, and you're trying to get over that mountain, okay? And you're trying to get past that mountain. And if that mountain is in front of you right now, whatever that is in your life, I kind of want you to think there for a minute, and I want you to focus on that. When you've got a mountain in front of you, okay, you, you, you get this mountain so big, you know what? One of the things you struggle with is you can't see tomorrow. You can't see tomorrow, and you wrestle with that. When, when that mountain is right in front of you, sometimes you'll get in a place in your life where you can't see the other side of it and you'll wonder, is life worth living? You'll think maybe it's not worth living. That's, that's what mountains can do in your life. They can come and go, but they're, they're tough because they can make you feel like life is not worth living. But if you have the faith of a grain, just a grain of mustard seed, you can say to that mountain, mountain, move. And Jesus said, it will be done to you. Now you hang on to that because I don't want you to miss that. The, the potency of that little thought right there that it will move for you. Okay? That's number one. Number two, you must have, secondly, a life led by confidence in God. You must have, secondly, a life led by confidence in God. Look what he says there in verse 23, 23. He says, truly, uh, um, I mean this. In other words, honestly, I say to you, whoever says to this mountain, be taken up and cast into the sea and does not doubt in his heart, but believes that what he says is going to happen. He doesn't doubt in his heart. That's a big phrase right there, okay? Just, just a little bit of faith, just an itsy-bitsy amount of faith in your life but, but you, you, you don't doubt, you, you, you remove all doubt in your life. doesn't matter how big the obstacle is, doesn't matter how mighty the obstacle is, doesn't matter how long the obstacle is, it's how convicted you are about it. It's how convinced you are about it that God can do it. Are you convinced about it without any doubt, without any doubt? See, what he's saying is, if you could get this much conviction, if you could be convinced this much, you could get this kind of reaction. If you could have this much faith for something in your life, this much faith, itsy-bitsy faith, you could remove this much trouble. Now, you either believe that or you don't. But it all comes down to faith. Faith in that. And it's not like some 
huge amount of faith you have to have here. It's just itsy, bitsy faith. Now, to me, it's almost embarrassing if you've been sitting here in this church Sunday after Sunday and you're overwhelmed with your troubles. It's almost embarrassing to be overwhelmed by your troubles and know the Bible says if you have this much faith without doubting, you'll receive what you ask for. You'll have it, he says. Now, I'm not going to try to put words into Jesus' mouth. I'm just going to speak to you directly. You'll have it. Now, it's not a Santa Claus faith. I want to I just say that right now because that's coming to my mind. It's not a Santa Claus faith. He will put the right desires in your heart. But what he does is as he works in your life, he takes away old passions and he gives you new desires and they're revealed to you through the Holy Spirit. That's number two, okay? Number three, you must have a life led with things you haven't done yet. You haven't even done yet. He says in verse 24, I say unto you, all things for which you pray and ask, believe that you have received them. That's why you're asking, okay? Believe that you have received them and they will be granted to you. That's uh, what's called in their language the prophetic perfect. The prophetic perfect. You'd understand this better maybe from the Old Testament, but it's already not yet. God already says it's yours, but it's not yet yours. But what he does is he works within your spirit to convince you that it's yours. So there is this movement. He will show you things you haven't even gotten yet, but you're fully persuaded that they've already happened. <laughs> that's, that's a leap of faith, isn't it? To believe that they've already happened, but God bears witness to your spirit that it's already happened. In other words, I'm going to put this in practical ways. Faith advertises things you haven't gotten yet. Faith advertises things you haven't gotten yet. Let's take Christopher Columbus. It took him four and a half weeks to sail from Spain to the Americas. Now, what if you could go back and say to him, man, why don't you save yourself a lot of time and do it in seven hours? Now, Christopher Columbus was Italian, so he probably would say something like this to you. What's the matter for you? <laughs> because Christopher Columbus in his own mind, could only see boats. But you can see a plane. You can see a plane. You're 600 years later, and you understand that. But back then, if you tried to tell Christopher Columbus that, it'd blow his mind. You can't do it in seven hours. That'd be like you going 600 years forward from now, and somebody come back and telling you, beam them up, Scotty, and you can do it. See, this, this is the element of what's called prophetic perfect, the prophetic perfect of saying something's already yours, but it's not yours yet. God told Joshua in Joshua chapter 1, verse 3, he said, go up and possess the land that I've already given to you. I've already given it to you. It's yours. Wait a minute. I don't have any land. I desire that land. I'd like that land, God, but I don't got it yet. And he says, I've already given it to you. Now, you've got to go possess it, but it's yours. Do you see that, Joshua? Do you see it's already yours? That's the prophetic perfect. Already, not yet. God showed it to him before he got it. It's yours. This faith, and I want to say this right again to you so you don't misunderstand what I'm saying, this faith is not for the carnal. It's not for the carnal. It's for the one walking in the Spirit. 
God can't give you power in prayer if he hasn't purged your old desires enough to give you power. So what he's going to do in your life is you need a new godly passion for something. That's what he's going to do. When you have that godly passion for something, a deeper walk, a stronger spirit, a, uh, you, you sense something is mine. I go further, 1 Kings chapter 18. Elijah said to his servant, I hear the abundance of the sound of rain. It hadn't rained in three and a half years on the earth. Three and a half years. And Elijah said, I hear the abundance of the sound of rain. That's a prophetic perfect. In Elijah's mind, it's already here. I hear it. But the servant's thinking, what are you, nuts? Hadn't rained in three and a half years. That's a prophetic perfect. God gave it to Elijah in his spirit. So Elijah says to the servant, go check for rain. Servant comes back and says, no rain, man. Elijah says, go check again. He goes back and checks again, no rain. He goes back and checks again, no rain. Again, no rain. Over and over. There's an important principle to think here, and I, and I don't want you to miss this. Sometimes you've got to reject every negative voice that's going to speak into your life, and you've got to refuse to hear it. Elijah said, go again. And by the time he went the seventh time, he said, I see a cloud the size of a man's hand. Elijah said, let's get out of here. There's going to be a float stomping, a float stomping, frog strangling, gully washer going on. See, Elijah already saw that before it happened. That's a prophetic perfect. That's a already, not yet. Now, here's what I'm trying to say to you. I want to get this in your heart first, okay? Uh, I'm going to see this happen in my life. I'm going to see this happen in my life. Here's the principle. Ready? It's yours before it's yours. It's yours before it's yours. You say, Pastor Rob, what are you doing? I'm trying to change your perspective in understanding the Word of God. I want your perspective to change. What do you want it to change? I can do what God says I can do. I can have what God says I can have. It doesn't matter what you say, or you say, or you say. It doesn't matter what they say. You worry too much about what they say anyways. But it doesn't matter what anyone else says. I can do what God says I can do. I can have what God says I can have. I can be what God says I can be. Do you, do you really, in your spirit, believe that? Do you believe that? That's what he's saying. Faith can stand up in this room through you. Through you. 2 Timothy 4, 7, Paul said before his death, he said, I fought a good fight. I finished my course, but then the beautiful phrase is, I've kept the faith. Not only to keep the embodiment of all of the system of faith, the Word of God, but I've kept the faith in the faith of the Word of God. I've kept the faith is what he's saying. And that strikes me. All the way to the end, he said, I've kept the faith. I want to keep my faith till the end. That's, that's what I always feel when I read the Apostle Paul. I'm telling you, I've lost friends, but I've kept the faith. I've lost courage sometimes. I've lost strength sometimes, but I kept the faith. I've lost money sometimes, and I've kept the faith. I've lost time, but I've kept the faith. Down on my knees, believing, praying that God would do it. Broke, there was times in my life I was broke, and I believed. There was times in my life I was lonely, and I believed. There was times I was betrayed, and I believed. I believed. 
Keep the faith. Keep the faith. You say, I'm at my wit's end. Keep the faith. You say, I may lose the house. Keep the faith. You say, I've lost the house. Keep the faith. You say, I may lose my kidney. Keep the faith. You say, I may have a heart attack. Keep the faith. I'm sick. Keep the faith. Why? Jesus is not a liar. He cannot lie. Now, everything I've told you for the last 15, min 15 minutes is the most dangerous thing I've telling you. Because what I've just told you is a half-truth. And I wanted you to hear a half-truth because there's something about what I just said that misses a whole other half-truth. If I keep going down this path in front of you for the next 15, 20 minutes and I keep talking about that passage the way I just talked about it, which I believe everything I just said, but I'm going to end up like Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, and the Word of Faith crowd. That's what's going to happen. It's a half-truth. I avoided two things when I preached to you in the last 15 minutes. And I hope you could write them down yourself in the little notes that I had there. What did I avoid? There's two things I avoided in the last 15 minutes. Number one, context. This is what your word of faith preachers do. They take verses and they lift them out of Scripture and they don't have a context. That's what I just did with you. I still believe what I said in the first 15 minutes, but let me put it in context. The second thing I avoided was the teaching on prayer and faith throughout the whole Bible. That's called a theology of faith. Without those two things, you're going to end up in heresy. And it'd be very easy for me to end up in heresy if I only stop this message right now and walk away. And that's all I believe. Okay, so to be honest with the text, let's talk about the context. Because you didn't hear me even talk about the context. I jumped right in and you're like, oh, that's great stuff on faith. I'm going to write that down. You should be writing it down because you need to believe it. But you need to believe it in a context. And it's better understood in a context than me just pulling this verse out and saying, I'll just be one of those word of faith followers. Okay, here's the context. He just cleansed the temple. I preached on that last week. He just cursed the fig tree. The fig tree had no fruit. It failed at being faithful to its creator. So God cursed it. The temple became a monument of infidelity as symbolized in the fig tree. The leaders, the religious leaders were unfaithful to God and it became a den of thieves when it was supposed to be a house of prayer. So God declares, I'm going to destroy the temple. But the problem is, to say that to his disciples will rock their faith. It will rock their faith because it will devastate their theology. That's why God says, have faith in God. That's why it's there. It's in a context. Have faith in God. So God says, have faith in me. Now why will that rock their faith? Because for the last 2,000 years, they've been going to a tabernacle and they've been going to a temple in order to access God. And in going to that, they offered animal sacrifices and they prayed to God after they offered the animal sacrifices so they could be heard of God. So God, if you wipe out the temple, you wipe out our religion. 
Judaism without the temple has no religion. Because if you study Judaism and understand it, the, the rabbis even today have tried to reinterpret and reinterpret and reinterpret all the scriptures, but they know they've got to have a temple. They've got to have a temple. There's got to be sacrifices in order to be able to pray. And that's the way the disciples thought. Without a temple, the whole thing doesn't work, God. We can't even access you. So Jesus says in a more metaphorical sense, he said to them, if you say to this mountain, be thou removed, it will up and remove itself and it will be done unto you. Now two times he says this about this mountain. It's not a generic statement, a metaphorical phrase, the mountain, a mountain. He says this mountain in the context. Now, every day he stayed outside of the city of Jerusalem. He would come over from Bethany, and he'd have to walk over the Mount of Olives. Now, here's a picture of the Mount of Olives so you can see it. And in that picture at the bottom is the Garden of Gethsemane, and then you have the city he came from behind that mountain. And he would walk up to that mountain. He'd stop there, and he would look over. And when he looked over the way just a few hundred yards, he would see the city of Jerusalem. Let me just show you that. Okay, where that Dome of the Rock is, uh, controlled by the Muslims right now, is where the Temple Mount is. There's no temple, it's destroyed. But the mount underneath it, it's called the Temple Mount because it's on a mountain. Jesus says, standing on the Mount of Olives and also in the temple. He said this in the temple. This mountain. He's referring to the Temple Mountain. He's referring to the temple. If you say to this mountain, be removed, it will be cast into the sea. It's a metaphorical way to say it will be utterly and completely destroyed. That's what it means in the context. It's not talking about coming up with some mountain in your life. You have to understand the context when you understand this passage. Okay, so this mountain being removed is literally the temple being destroyed, which happened in 70 A.D. So I talk about faith to them. Because Jesus is changing the structure of prayer and faith. The old way, the old covenant, was to pray to God through temple sacrifices, and then you could pray to Him after you offered your animal. Jesus said, that's done. The new way now will be, in the new covenant, Christ inside of you. And when Christ is inside of you, you will have incredible power to do things you've never been able to do. And that's how you'll access me now, because you are my temple. I've already taught you that. And so, in other words, when Jesus was crucified and rose from the dead, he gave new access that the temple had nothing to do with anymore. He's done with the temple. I don't have more to say about that, but that's the way to understand it. So, now he destroyed the temple, and he was making a new way through him directly so you have the faith to believe that. That's what he means, have faith in God. Believe that when they destroy this, you'll have enough faith to believe that I'm going to reside inside of you and you go directly to me through prayer. You don't need an animal sacrifice. I was your sacrifice. This is what the word of faith people never tell you, okay? They never tell you the context. They never tell you what's really going on here. So it takes mountain-moving faith to believe that because they're in a tough spot. Do we really believe that that temple will be destroyed and all we do is speak directly to you? Yes. 
God wasn't ending prayer. He was destroying the temple. He was making a new way through him. So have faith, disciples, to believe that. This verse is so radical. It sounds so radical to read, but Jesus explains a new power. It's not like a blank check for prosperity. That's the last thing it is. It is prayer through Christ, and when you have prayer through Christ, you'll do things greater than you could ever do in your own strength. You will do miraculous things. You will do amazing things, and you have incredible access to God, and He will work miracles in your life. You have got to believe that because sometimes we so react to these verses, we go to the other side, and it doesn't mean what it says. It does mean what it says, but in a context. And what the faith healers do is they'll teach you name it and claim it. And what they mean by that is all you have to do to change your external world is to believe and claim it, and it will be done. And they love these passages, and they just lift them out of the context, and they just tell you to whatever you got, whatever desire you have, you can have it. And all you need, they'll go to another verse. If you just have two or three that agree with you on earth in anything, it'll be done to you. It'll be done to you. It's done. That's what a faith healer will tell you. They'll lift it right out of the context. Um, for example, if we tested that right now, do I have two or three people that like to see the war in Ukraine end? Does anybody agree with me on that? Okay, there's at least two that raised their hand. It's done. It's over. Based upon that scripture verse, two or three of us agreed on earth regarding anything. So the war's done. There's no more war in Ukraine. Cancer. How many would like cancer gone? Would you agree with me on that? Okay, a few you would like to. Okay, it's done. Again, with two or three agreed. You see how crazy that system is? And that's where it leads you to. It's a whole misuse of a right understanding of the context, but yet still believing the power of those verses. So I don't take back anything I said. All I did was tell you in the 15 minutes was it's a half-truth. And a half-truth is a heresy without the whole truth. Okay, that's setting the context for that passage. Number two, the teaching on faith and prayer throughout the Bible. Now, I wish I had time to go through all of this because there's a broad teaching on faith, on prayer and faith, and they all have to be brought together before you start making your conclusions about what faith and prayer is. Here's a verse, 1 John 5, 14, which really is a summarizing verse for all prayer. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Key phrase, according to his will. You cannot interpret these other scriptures without adding that one in and, and coming up with your conclusion about how to pray. All right, according to his will. And I'll give you a whole bunch of other verses I'll put on the screen so you can see them. I'm not going to read those. Prayer is not for our will, it's for his will. This is what you got to understand, okay? This is very important to understand because if I get through this, you'll see what I'm trying to say to you. Jesus prays in the garden with great sweat drops of blood. That's hematidrosis is a condition where you're under such incredible stress, your sweat begins to bring blood droplets out. Jesus was in incredible stress, and he asked the Father, let this cup, let the cup of the crucifixion pass from me, Lord. And the Father answers, no, it's yours to drink. You have to drink the cup. You have to drink the whole cup of it all. Jesus keeps praying, and he asks again, let this cup pass from me. And he asks again, let this cup pass from me. And each time the Father answers, no. Jesus says, okay, not my will, 
but thine be done. Now, that's a beautiful line in Scripture, but how do you apply that to your life? Not my will, but thine be done. Here's Jesus' attitude. You say no to my request, Father, but I say yes to what you want me to do. I know what I want. I don't want to go in my humanity to that cross, but I'm going to submit what I want for what you want. That's, that's a good way to understand prayer. Prayer is trusting God for whatever his answer is. It's not magic. It's not magic. That's the prayer of faith. There are times when you are believing God and he is saying no to your request. And just like Jesus, you go over and over and over again. That's okay. That's okay. That's what you want to do. You want to just keep going over and over again. And when that happens, like Jesus, you ask again and again, it becomes harder and harder for you to really believe he's hearing you because it hits you at the deepest levels of your soul. Because at the deepest levels of your soul, when that happens, the pain you experience in your heart, knowing he could do something and he didn't do anything. That's, that's a deep struggle that you have with God. He could do it. He's God. He could just snap his fingers. But the pain you experience from God saying no to healing your child or saying no to healing your grandchild, or, or saying no to healing you. The struggle you find yourself in sometimes is you want to have that faith like Jesus Christ did when he said, not my will, but thine be done. But it would be so easy for you to just say yes. But he says no. And, and here's the thing, many of you are sincere in this. You'll go to God and say, God, I know you have the power. I know you love me. I know you care for me. But what's going on? What's going on? Now, one thing you do have to do is make sure you're clear with everybody else on this earth. Now, before I get into the four point of this, make sure you're clear with everybody on this earth. That's why he gives you verse 25 and 26 there. And he says, make sure you've forgiven the people on earth. Make sure you've got nothing you're holding against them. Now, I'm not, this isn't unilateral. Jesus only forgives those who repent, and you are only under obligation to forgive those that repent. Now, I'm not saying be vengeful, but I am saying this is in a context. And so he's saying here that if you literally have someone that comes to you and they've sinned against you, and they say to you, I want to apologize. I sinned against you. They confess their sin. But you say, I'm not going to forgive them. They, they have hurt me too deeply. I'm going to hold a grudge, and I'm just going to hold that in my heart. If that's your spirit, Jesus says, that's what you can expect from me. The way you treat people here is the way I'll treat you. You held on to it. You won't let it go. They've asked forgiveness. It's not unilateral. If they didn't come to you asking forgiveness, it doesn't mean you're vengeful, but it doesn't mean you have to forgive at that point either. You have to have a spirit of forgiveness, but you don't have to forgive until they ask for it. Every Christian is to be ready and standing at every moment to forgive fully and finally if the person repents. That could be one thing blocking your prayers. So that's why he throws that in in those two verses, and I wanted you to hear that. But the bigger picture then is that I want you to see here is this, that say it's not anybody down here on this earth affecting your prayer life, all right? 
Just as you believed faith was the key in accessing power to answer yes, you must also believe faith is the key in dealing with suffering when God says no. The same faith you use to access God's power when he says yes is the same faith you got to access when you suffer and he says no. He's asking, do you still believe him? Or was he just a cosmic vending machine to you that you're only going to follow him if he gives you what you want? Is that the kind of God you got? Because if you got that kind of God, you don't really got a God that's really the God in heaven. You got a God in your head of what you think God should be, but you got to do a God according to the word of God. And so this is, this is very hard to understand, but those who never believe it is God's will to suffer, struggle with this, whether it's disease or finances or relationships. That's what Peter did. He struggled to understand this. And when Jesus said, I'm going to suffer, Peter said, forbid it, Lord. He rebuked him. The word rebuke is a word to rebuke a demon. He rebuked God in heaven like he was a demon. He rebuked him and said, may it never be. And Jesus looks at Peter and says, get thee behind me, Satan. Because I'm telling you, when in your theology is not a theology to suffer in God's will, Satan ain't far from you. He loves to creep up around and just kind of get you to doubt that God really cares about you because you're suffering. And that's one of his best tactics, is to get you to think, because I'm going through this, and God doesn't seem to care. But Satan just comes right in and says, you're right. And so Jesus says, no, get behind me, Satan. You don't savor the things of God. You came up with this as the things of man. That's how man thinks. That's how man thinks and not God. And so that's the way you want to kind of understand all of this. So let me give you two takeaways and I'm going to close. All right, two takeaways and I'm going to close. It's very simple. Faith is the key in seeing miracles. Don't you ever forget that. Don't you let the name it and claim it, people. Take that away from you. Okay? Faith is the key in seeing miracles. You have incredible access to God through Jesus Christ. Not through communion, not through ritual, not through membership, not through a rabbi, not through a priest, not through a pastor, not through the laying on of hands, but in your incredible access to Christ by faith, he works miracles in your life by believing him. Okay, that's one takeaway. Second takeaway, faith is the key in dealing with suffering. Faith is the key in dealing with suffering. One of the hardest pills to swallow is, what if it's not God's will to heal me? What if it's not God's will, and I'm talking about healing, but it could be anything. What if it's God's will not to do this in my life? What if it's God's will for this illness to continue? I'll tell you this. If it is, I can guarantee he's going to use it in your life or in the life of someone else. And it's going to have an eternal weight of glory. You just got to believe that, not because I'm saying it, because the Word of God says that. So you have to believe that he's going to use it in your life. Now, what, what, what is so hard as I've pastored is people cut that truth off. They don't want to believe that truth. And they cut that truth off. They don't want to believe God for 
or excuse me, they want to believe God for healing, but they don't want to believe God for suffering. <laughs> That's where we all are. Oh, I love to believe God for healing, but for suffering? That's why it's the harder path to faith. It's harder to believe that you're suffering in God's will than it is to be healed and give them all the praise because you got healed. You don't need any faith at that point. But to keep going on day after day after day and to believe that that could be the will of God for my life. <laughs> I have learned this and in the struggle of my own life. I don't want faith for suffering. I want faith for healing, but that's not how it works. This is the harder path of faith, the harder path of faith. When he could heal you and he said no. That takes more faith. So Jesus gives us the answer. Faith in the midst of anguish, trust in the midst of suffering. You don't understand, you can't explain it, but it's simply according to his will, which you cannot figure out and you will not piece together in this life, but whatever he asks you, you fall back on his will. When you get to the bottom and you're drained and you got nothing else, all you got is his will, according to your will, God. I'm going to rest in you. I'm going to trust your goodness. So with healing or not healing, okay, faith is the key. Faith is the key. Okay, that may not be what you expected when I turned that baby around, but I enjoyed preaching that to you because that is such, such a deep thing to really grasp in your walk with Christ. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for oh, the weight of it. Just the weight of it to believe you for everything, to believe you for healing, to believe you for suffering. God, that we would surrender every piece within us, every piece in our fiber of our soul, that we'd say, God, we want to live like that. We want to live like that according to your will. And that's how we'll ask, that's how we'll pray, that's how we'll seek you according to your will. So strengthen, strengthen your people here today that have listened and know they see that mountain and they can't see the other side. Sometimes they wonder, is it worth living? Sometimes they wonder, what's waiting there? What's waiting for me? Jesus said, don't you give up. You keep the faith. So God put it on them. Put this word around their neck, on their forehead. on their feet, on their heart, on their hands. Just put it all over. May they cling to it for whatever they're at in their walk with you. I pray your hand over them now, and I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Let's stand to our feet. Praise team's going to lead us now in this song. If there's some need in your heart that you need to come for today, come. The altar's open for you. Let's sing together and praise him now.